In this episode, you're going to learn about industrial IoT connectivity technologies such as OPC UA, Data Distribution Service, MQTT, CoAP, 1M2M, and more. We're going to focus on the fundamentals of industrial internet, the industrial internet connectivity stack, why connectivity technologies do not overlap, and why connectivity wrappers do not work. And my guest to help share that knowledge is Stanley Schneider. Stan is the CEO of Real-Time Innovations, or RTI, which is the world's largest software framework provider for smart machines and real-world systems. RTI software runs over 1,500 designs, including the largest power plants in North America, the Canadian Air Traffic Control System, NASA's Launch Control System, nearly all Navy ships, GE Healthcare's Hospital Device Networks, Siemens Wind Turbine Farms, Trains and Metro Control Systems, and over 250 autonomous vehicle designs. Stan holds a PhD from Stanford in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science with a focus in autonomous systems. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry40.tv, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn industrial IoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So make sure to subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with 5 stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and connect with me on LinkedIn at Kutsai Mandi Teresa. Now, here's my conversation with Stan. Stan, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the show and uh, welcome. Okay, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Okay. Nice to, to meet you today. Great stuff. Okay, so yeah, I think we'll just uh, dive right into it. So now, um, uh, Stan, the the ability of, uh, of 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 systems to 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 communicate really is like the, the most important uh, aspect of uh, industrial uh, IoT, uh, and that's like that's probably the reason why we've seen uh, many uh, connectivity technologies being uh, developed uh, over the years. Now, to, to help system designers understand and, and, and choose the right uh, a standard, uh, the Industrial Internet Consortium, uh, which is an organization of which you are a member, uh, came up with the Industrial Internet uh, Connectivity Framework. Okay, so mm -hmm. could, you, could you describe to us uh, what the Industrial Internet Connectivity Framework is all about? Yeah, so we... Back when the IoT was young, this was 2014 or 2015, uh, when, the, when the IIC was founded, we realized one of the big problems is people just didn't understand all the different uh, protocols. And I put protocols in quotes because uh, calling some of these technologies protocols isn't very fair at all. And so we set off on a, a project to better understand them and more importantly, help people understand when they should use uh, different ones. And um, that was an interesting journey to say the least. Uh, so we, we ended up looking at uh, six different things. So DDS, OPC UA, uh, RESTful HTTP, 
uh, MQTT, something called CoAP. Um, and you know, we wanted to really understand how they, um, how what they actually did, and how they you know another thing called one M to M, which is a, a different kind of technology. Really, you know, what they really were, how they interacted, if they interacted, um, you know, maybe a vision for the future, how they could all work together. And when we started out, I actually wrote a paper uh, and got it published in a journal about how all these different technologies overlap in different areas. And uh, we put together a, a, a 10 dimensional space <laughs> yeah. of things you should look at like latency and bandwidth and scalability and all these kinds of things. And I thought that they would overlap and you would, you know, narrow it down to a couple of different technologies and then choose them based on some other thing like cost or performance or something like that. And uh, what we found out instead is that these technologies uh, are amazingly different. They evolved out of completely different environments for completely different use cases um, to the point where we even had a problem just classifying them as types of technologies. Uh, so we, we basically ended up with with a, a new stack and a new um, a new sort of way to think of um, a way a way to think of how you build an architecture. I won't even call it for connectivity, but for a distributed system. Um, and I sort of come to the conclusion there's really three different kinds of distributed systems. The IoT is not one thing. Internet of Things, is, uh, unless you want to call it the future of all technology, which is a <laughs> bit much. It's not one thing. It's three things, my humble opinion. Okay. Um, and the first thing we, we call device monitoring, um, which is really a single device. You can have a lot of them, but a single type of device talking to a single cloud service. Um, and that's all it does. So think, you know, Nest thermostats and ring doorbells. And you may be different kinds of ring, you know, there's ring doorbells and ring alarms and, you know, lots of different devices like that. But they all talk to one cloud service and they don't do much else. Um, so from a connectivity architecture point of view, it's very simple. It's just a one-to-one -one connection. So that's, that's the first class. Um, the second class is very different. You take a, a big existing plant or an oil pipeline or some big system like that, and you put sensors all over it, and you collect those sensors up in the cloud and do some kind of analysis, maybe a big data analysis or just display for people. Um, and we call that analytic optimization because what you're really trying to do is analyze what's going on in an existing system. Um, they typically don't change that system. Small changes, uh, you know, you're, you're instrumenting a power plant or something like that. Um, big, big market. You'd think it would be the first market. The entire consumer internet is in the, is in the uh, device monitoring market. Uh, most of the big companies went after this, this uh, intellect optimization market because you can immediately install it on existing plants and that makes it a big market. 
So you'll think, you know, Siemens MindSphere and what used to be um, GE Predix and is now just Predix. Somebody else bought it. And uh, most of the um, technologies out there really fit into the second category, which is all about getting data and, and being smart about that data. Uh, and then there's a third category that I think is the most exciting but the least mature, uh, which we call edge autonomy, which is basically taking artificial intelligence out of the cloud and making it work in the real world um, in a way that it doesn't work today. And the applications you've heard of here are things like autonomous cars and, um, you know, what else might you have heard of? Uh, you know, flying cars and... Yeah. Uh, but there's many, many, many other kinds of things. That's, that's where my company exists is really in the edge autonomy. And we do everything from forklifts to trucks to uh, wind turbines to um, medical device integration to robotics to intelligent fish farms. And it's just <laughs> a very big array of yeah. things that you can... Uh, add intelligence to AI, not in the cloud, out in the real world, and make a smart distributed system. So you sort of to understand that, and then you look at these other technologies, and we we split them. We built a stack that's based on interoperability rather than based on um, the very simple uh, descriptions of the enterprise stack, which is there's a famous thing called the seven layer model. Um, the first three layers are really just how you get bytes around in that. Yeah. That's fine. We didn't change any of that. But above those layers, we try to look at what's really important. And what's really important in this world comes down to interoperability. <clears throat> and what's important about interoperability is um, what's, your, what's interoperable. So the word interoperability is a very popular word in the Internet of Things. You'll hear it every every paper, everything yeah, you talk okay. about. Um, I don't like the word without the word between after it. So interoperability between devices and a network is a very different thing. The interoperability between software modules and a big design is a very different thing between interoperability between machines on a factory floor. And they're just completely different concepts. Um, so we try to, you know, we're just looking at the, the networking and really architecture. We sort of define three levels of interoperability, which is, technical interoperability, which you can share opaque blocks of data and syntactic interoperability, you can share data types and then semantic operability, you can share meanings of data types. Um, anyhow, it's a long answer to your yeah. relatively simple question. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll back off now, but we really had to completely redesign. The framework designs a whole new stack and it also goes in and analyzes all these technologies and proposes a potential future where we can connect them together where, where we would need to. Okay. Yeah, so when, when it comes to the IoT uh, connectivity technologies that we, we, we've just uh, described, uh, you, you, like in your book, you stress, uh, the, your book, the, the Rise of the Robot uh, Overload, you stress the point uh, that these IoT connectivity technologies do not overlap. Uh, 
what do you mean exactly when you say these technologies do not overlap and, and what are the implications of, of that fact? Um, simply put, I have yet to see any significant applications that you really could choose one or the other and it makes sense. Um, the, the, the problem you have is not deciding which one to use for an application. The problem is uh, understanding what your pro what your challenge is, and then choosing the one. Usually, only one. If you have a very simple problem, maybe you can use whatever, but choosing the one that will work. Um, my favorite analogy is with with transportation, yeah. and you could argue that transportation technologies overlap. A train and a car and an airplane and a bicycle in your shoes are all transportation technologies. And they all, if you're just going at a simple use case, you're going from your house to work and it's close by, well, the plane might not work. But the other ones, you know, if it's a, uh, it's a few kilometers away, you could, you could ride a bike, you could take a train, you could drive a car, you could ride a bicycle, you could walk. All, all those things do overlap for that use case. But as soon as the use case gets complicated, it starts failing very quickly. If you have to drop your kids off at school, the train's out of the question. If you have to carry uh, you know, a bunch of things, the bike's out of the question. Um, if you're moving, uh, instead of just going to work, you're moving across the country, uh, you better have a truck. Uh, you're not going to do it in a car and you're not going to do it on a bicycle. I mean, they, they very quickly don't overlap if you have a complex system. And in the, in the industrial end of things, especially, almost everything qualifies as a complex system. And so they just don't overlap. So you ask why they don't overlap. They don't overlap for the same reason you can't pedal a train. Um, you know, in, in, in theory, you should be able to pedal a train with enough low friction and uh, gear ratios and a lot of training. <laughs> but yeah, in reality, because... you can't really pedal a train. It's too heavy and not designed for that. It's a completely different world. So um, oh, okay. it's the best answer I've got for that. It's uh, different. Yeah. Okay. They solve different problems. They don't solve the same problem in different ways. That's another way to put it. Okay. What, what, what was the major difference as far as, 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 as these different technologies uh, are concerned? What would you say is like, this is the defining factor really that separates all of them? Um, the first major difference is what they send around. They all send data around. That's the only thing they have in common. Yeah. Um, but how do they send that data around is the first major thing. There's really two levels. There's things that I do call protocols. Um, we call it the transport level. Uh, you know, MQTT fits into that. Co-app fits into that. They are just ways to send data. The data has no structure. So when you get the data, you know, you'll get a bunch of bytes and it could be names of people. It could be feedback control, sensor readings. It could be uh, warnings about an impending explosion, and you would never know. <laughs> None of those things yeah. are 
are in that data, just a bunch of bytes. So you have to know what it is ahead of time somehow. And that's sort of the first, you know, that's, that's the transport layer versus the framework layer. Um, the framework layer, they actually, you still don't know what they mean necessarily, but now I can look at the data and say, okay, it's got a name and an address and a, um, you know, I don't know, a salary and I say, oh, this is a, this is a, HR information. At least I know the name is a string and the address is a string with a number, which is the, the house number or something. You know, I, I can now do something with that data. I don't know what it means necessarily. I don't know that it's an HR database or if it's a, a mailing list where I'm going to send advertisements. I don't know why it's there, but I know sort of what it is and I can read it. Um, and the next, the next level up, which we did not really look at, is semantic. Now I know that it's, it's really a Christmas list, and I'm going to send you a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> so I have meaning to it. Yeah. But you know, we, to the, the protocols, the framework layer, are really only easy to use if you control the entire system. You're writing it all yourself. You don't have a lot of software in your system because it doesn't help you at all with sharing information. And importantly, because that data comes at you in whatever format it is, you can't easily switch between languages or processor types or operating systems, all that stuff's in the data, but you don't know where it came from. Um, at, the, at the syntax level, now you can share it regardless of that. Um, so the, the technologies that offer uh, a real framework, which are, you know, the ones that we looked at are uh, DDS and OPC UA and, um, you know, 1M to M uh, really have way more than just a data definition. They have an entire uh, type monitor uh, typing system so that I can use whatever language I want likely and I can you know interoperate now between software programs instead of interoperating between bytes I had to know what was in it so that's a very that's a very valuable step and it really is the critical step for anything that we found in in more complex industrial internet systems Oh, yeah, interesting. Now, maybe just to linger on that question a, a bit, uh, what what do you think about um, Spark Plug for 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 MQTT that try and enrich the the MQTT uh, payload? Uh, yeah, Spark Plug yeah. and uh, Protobufs and yes, 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 uh, yes, many, yes, that. So when we first looked at it, those things didn't really exist. Um, you know, if it becomes a standard, then it will take a step up and be more of a framework, right? If, it, if it's something that I can assume my other people in the organization in the, in the software system I'm using are also using Sparkplug, then I can interoperate with them at a, at a better level. Um, absolutely. But it's not a, it's not really a well, you know, now, now you have to agree on that too. Oh, yeah. It's not narrow, and it's not nearly as well controlled as things like a, a DDS or an OPCOA that has a standards organization and very clear specifications on exactly what 
data types are and exactly how those data types inter interact, uh, even if they don't exactly match. One of the big problems in a distributed system is um, distributed systems evolve. Um, so you can't really just update everything on one day especially if they're complex things, it may take years to retest them and redeploy them. Even with over-the-air updates getting more popular, it's still very difficult to guarantee that all the components of a big system are the same version. And so um, one of the things the frameworks can do, DDS can do, I don't, I don't know if, I think I'm 1M2M does it, I don't think OPC UA does it, um, it allows you to match things that have changed a little bit. So the data structure, now that I know I've got this, you know, this field with a name and three floats and whatever, and now I add another field to the end of it, uh, DDS is smart enough to match those anyway. So if I send it to an old version, it'll strip that field off. And if the old version sends me something, it'll add something that says, this is an old version a flag or something, and then I can fix that in my code, but the fundamental system will still work. And we have systems in the field with 300 different versions of the same data type, <laughs> and then a big ship. And the nice thing, you can pull into port and you can throw a new device on the ship or upgrade one part of the software, and it will match all the other. It has to be standard, and the standard is very specific about what will match, but as long as it matches, it will make everything work and now you don't have to upgrade it all at once. And if you're trying to do a smart city or some really large system, um, we have a healthcare uh, design for GE Healthcare is expecting 300,000 devices in a hospital. You, you just can't update all of those all at the same time. Uh, yeah. It's it, only because a lot of them are gonna be keeping people alive at the moment. You can't reboot it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But in reality, there's security issues and all sorts of things with in testing, you can't upgrade everything at once. There's hundreds of different kinds of things in the hospital and you're all gonna be ready to update at the same time. So those kinds of functionality aren't available to something like MQTT Spark. So that, that, that did make MQTT more valuable, but I still don't think it's a good choice for a large distributed system, especially if it has to do the kinds of things that the other technologies do much better. All the technologies do something really well. And, you know, my, my favorite example, I, I, I call it the space. And if you're close to a planet in space, you should absolutely use that, or a galaxy might be a better thing. You should use that galaxy's technology. If you're out in the middle of inter, inter, you know, inter, interstellar space, and there's a lot of interstellar space, yeah. and nothing really fits, well, now you can start playing games and writing your own code or making something fit. But most, surprisingly, most applications that we run into fit one of them reasonably well and hardly ever two. Never two. Okay, that's interesting. Now, uh, um, to... To alleviate the 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 the, the interoperability ch challenges, there's there's a somewhat uh, common practice of um, of using wrappers to sort of uh, interface between one uh, one standard and the other. And you you believe that doesn't work? Wrappers uh, uh, don't work. To put it in your in your in your words, what, what, so, could you please like, elaborate for that? 
that there's question. many ways to do a wrapper yeah many reasons to do a wrapper so if you're wrapping to make the api simpler but not trying to change the fundamental underlying thing um that's fine right almost all of our customers do that dds is very very feature rich and they don't want to do that or they want to add their own data types and you're going to use these data types and dds is handling underneath but don't do anything else and they write wrappers are there they write wrappers that add functionality that's fine if you're trying to write a wrapper that abstracts whether it's dds or whether it's mqtt you're you're wrong because you can only do the least common denominator in that wrapper and the least common denominator in these things is just sending bits around or bytes around. So you might as well just use TCP IP and old technologies, you know, the raw technologies, because you aren't going to be able to use the power of any of the technologies if you wrap them. It's the same thing with trying to pedal a train, right? Let's see you write a wrapper that abstracts a train and a bicycle and tennis shoes, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I'll say, okay, my use case is to go upstairs. You use your generic wrapper, for, which could have a train underneath it, to go upstairs in my house. Yeah. Right? The bicycle won't work. The train really won't work. The shoes would work fine. But you've written a wrapper that doesn't let me abstract any of those things. The only thing I can do is the least common denominator. And the least common denominator for a train and a bicycle and shoes is going short distances with no luggage and you don't care very much how fast you get there that's that's what you're going to be able to do with the wrapper you won't be able to use the train you won't be able to use the bicycle and you won't be able to use your tennis shoes it's just it's the worst possible case oh that actually makes uh, a lot of sense those those kind of wrappers have been i mean in fact it's one of our our red flags when our, our sales force sees that we're going to write a wrapper we're going to abstract IOT technologies, um, they just don't know what they're talking about. They've never done it. Oh, yeah. I've never seen it work. Well, just, I've seen hundreds of efforts. I have yeah. never seen it work. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Makes quite a, quite a lot of sense there. Um, right. Yeah. Now, we're, we're moving on to the, just want to touch a bit on the industrial. Uh, 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 connectivity stack. I know you've already uh, spoken about it. Uh, like the fact that we, we, we already have some mature uh, 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 layered stack models like your, uh, your seven layer OSI uh, model, uh, but yet you, 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 you found it necessary to, to come up with the industrial connectivity stack. Like what, how, why did you find it necessary, first of all, to, to, to come up with a separate industrial mm -hmm. connectivity stack? Because the, so first of all, the seven layer model falls apart very quickly, even with an internet technology. Bottom three layers are great. Get to IP, everybody pretty much agrees. IP is, is the choke point that everybody agrees on. Um, you get above those layers and very quickly becomes very difficult to put modern technologies into a single layer, a DDS standard. People ask, what layer is DDS? And the best answer is, well, it runs on top of UDP, but it's really sort of like UDP. It recreates TCP. So it's sort of a layer four technology, but it does data modeling. 
So, you know, it's got layer five technology flavors to it. Um, it doesn't have a notion of connections. So you can't really say it does connections, but it does support reliable uh, sessions. So it's sort of a session layer. I mean, it really has flavors of four, five, six, and seven in it, all in one thing. And all the other ones do too. And when you try to map that to what's going on in an industrial setting with all the other complexities, it just, it didn't capture what was important. And what was important to us is that horrible word interoperability, what you're interoperable between. And we decided that we would, you know, just try to do a, a model that's based on interoperability and it worked great because the, the, the seven layer ISO seven layer model was originally done for interoperability also, but they were only trying to make a very specific type of system interoperate, which was terminal servers for mainframe computers. Right. Yeah. And yeah. okay, that worked, but you know, it has a very clear definition of connections and sessions and all these kind of things that just don't exist in a in a much more dynamic and much more uh full of requirements world like industrial systems so we had to write something new um, that's interesting now so so apparently they, they there's not going to be one iot connectivity uh, technologies for like everything uh, uh instead well, what what we're going to see is like different uh, subsystems that are based on uh, different connectivity standards uh, and, 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 and to, to cater for that eventuality. Uh, I think the IIC came up with the core connectivity standard architecture. Okay, could you like explain to us what the architecture is all about? Yes, well, first we have to start with, and I don't have an answer to this question, do we need this architecture? Um, so the internet has a lot of power because it connects virtually anything to anything else. Um, and people have found an amazing variety of things that make sense to connect that you would never would have thought of when you designed it way back then. So maybe there is that. But today, you know, people talk about needing to be able to connect the power grid to uh, a hospital operating room so that if the power grid goes out, you can keep operating. But in reality, that's probably not gonna happen anytime soon. And to also wanna connect that to the factory across town that's building um, you know, <clears throat> suspension parts for a car is just why? So first of all, is, is there a demand for an architecture connects something together? I don't really know that. But if there is a demand, right? And there definitely are cases where there's a demand. Like we run into a demand between DDS and OPC UA, but typically for very different applications, but they do need to talk with each other because uh, you know, DDS can handle much larger data environments. Um, you sort of need a gateway between them. And if those gateways can be standardized, then you can build a nice architecture that you can pick and choose the right technologies for the right pieces. And so we sort of did two things. We looked at, are there some accepted and reasonably well adopted, at least in one 
uh, in one market technologies that are are both sort of you know well defined and uh, have enough users that you know they're going to be around for a while uh, and cover the application space as best we could. And we essentially came up with four of those, um, not claiming they're the only possible four, uh, but there's at least 30 or 40 domain technologies out there. And you can't build, if you try to build uh, gateways between standard gateways between 30 of these things, that's 30 factorial gateways. That's a very large number of gateways. You'll be writing gateways to end all time. With four technologies, we only need 12 gateways or, you know, really only so you get three gateway. Each each technology needs to talk to three other get, uh, technologies. It's it's doable, right? You don't need that many gateways. Um, and a lot of them sort of already exist or are in the process of existing. So for instance, one of the one of the technologies, HTTP, you know, web services and DDS already has a, a standard gateway for that. I know the DDS stuff better. Um, and DDS to OPCUA uh, is something we've been working on. And now there's a standard out for that. And we have implementations of that, um, you know, to uh, one M to M, we haven't had that demand yet. Maybe when 5G comes along and makes applications that work with DDS for that, it will, it will make sense. But um, it definitely has the potential to build a uh, connection to the other frameworks. So, um, you know, and that, and those three make DDS. Now, okay, we'll talk to everybody. And the other ones all have them also. So we only need six different gateways. Not um, and I'm, I'm a little confused because they're trying to add another core technology, which makes more gateway. <laughs> okay, so, so currently, currently you've got four core standard code technologies for you? Currently, the original IICF has four, identified four core standards and proposed standard gateways between all the pairs of them. And, and, and then, you know, and then you can have, um, you know, specific gateways to anything else. If it can connect to any of them, it could in principle connect to all of them. Like I said, I don't know if there's really a demand for this. We're still trying to figure that out. Um, but I think there will be over time. This, these technologies aren't going away. If only uh, for legacy integration purposes, there are going to be demands for gateways between these things. You know, for things like you know connecting to field buses, yeah. mod bus, profi bus, profi net, not profi bus, profi net. You know, those kinds of things you need gateways, but you probably don't need them to all the all the standards. Um, because you know, connecting it to one M to M, which is designed for the cellular network, yeah. why would Modbus need to connect to that? So if you can just connect that into DDS or connect into OPCUA, now you can, and it can connect to the web over HTTP. Well, now you've got the ability to do that. So that that's the whole the whole idea is to get rid of the n squared. I suppose not thirty vectors, thirty squared, but get rid of the n squared problem with gateway explosion. 
and put together a clear, uh, simplified architecture for that. But this is, it's still 10, 15 years out. Um, today, you don't want to wait for all those gateways. You need to go choose one of the, choose the best one of these architectures to work with. Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense there. Now, one of the connectivity technologies that I find so fascinating is, uh, is, is a data distribution uh, service or, or, or TDS. And uh, I'm like still trying to, 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 to wrap my head around uh, all the concepts of TDS. But can you like give us a, a, a like sort of like a, a very a, a brief explanation of what TDS really is? Yeah. So I've been working hard on trying to make this more understandable to people because if you read the standard, which is, I don't know how many hundreds of pages <laughs> of yeah. dense technical stuff, it, it talks about things like a global data space. Um, if you have to put DDS into a box that you can understand, think of it as a very intelligent distributed shared memory. Uh, but the way I like to explain that makes more sense, DDS is a virtual, it, it gives you the virtual environment that is a, a fiction, it's not true, but a fiction it seems like all the data in the entire system is right. If you're writing an algorithm, all the data is in your local memory. It's in, it's in your algorithm. If you're writing a sensor, it's writing, you know, all the data is in, this, is in the sensor. I can write to that data and everybody else gets it. If you're writing an actuator or some other thing and you need data, it's right there in your local memory. And so it, it looks like all the data, and we have systems, you know, 300,000 devices, uh, you know, a whole fleet of autonomous vehicles that have LIDARs and radars and operators uh, that are monitoring the system. If you're one of those operators, all the data of the entire system is right there in your algorithm or in your, in your workstation display. Um, it's not true, it's not possible but it acts that way. And so you're just, as an application developer, are reading and writing what looks like local memory. Um, that's DDS. So people think it's published, subscribe. Well, it sort of is, but it also supports all the other patterns. It supports queuing and it supports request reply. And it's just not true that only published. What's, what's important about it is it's all about the data. The data, you're, it's all right there for you. And the way it really works, okay, it looks like it's all there. It's not really all there. If you, for instance, need to read something 100 times a second and you want it to be in your data, in reality, it's living on devices all over the place. You just tell DDS, okay, I need this updated 100 times a second. And here's what it is. Here's the data. And DDS will go out and find anything that might be able to produce that for you and give the specification. And the specification can be pretty complicated. It's not just 100 times a second. For instance, I want to know I'm building an autonomous vehicle. I want to know anything within 200 meters of me that's moving towards me at more than two meters a second. That's my specification, right? Mm -hmm. And I can send that to all the sensors on my vehicle or even someday to the cameras on the street or whatever. Um, and anybody that has that information now knows that I want it. And not, they don't, they don't, their application doesn't know, their application is just writing what they know into memory also. But the DDS on their application now knows that I want it and it will send it to mine and it will get it to mine guaranteed exactly to be in my memory when I'm gonna go read it a hundredth of a second later. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so I go and I read it and I see, oh, there's a pedestrian that's walking across the walk, crosswalk in front of me at more than two meters a second. And it's coming towards, you know, towards me might be some collision path or something. I, I now know that's there and then I can do something about it. So that's, that's the magic of DDS. It's finding things in the, in the data space and delivering it to you. That's why data does distribution survey. It, it, I, if I could rename it, it'd be, you know, data centric architecture. It really is data centricity. That's important much more than distribution and certainly much more than public subscribe. It's really, getting the data you need in the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah. That's what DDS does. Um, nothing else does anything close to it. Every, every other technology has the concept of active things, clients and servers. The data lives on the server. You're a client. You get yeah. it from the server. Or messages. You send messages. Where do you send messages? Well, you send it to some active thing, either another another application or you send messages to a queue, um, something that has to exist, right? One of the nice things about yeah. having the data in my own memory, I don't have to know you exist. I don't know anything else exists. I just read it and write it out of my own memory. Now, if I ask for it 100 times a second and it doesn't show up, that's an error condition. I don't know. I don't, I don't have to even know why it didn't show up, although there are ways to find that out. But, um, you know, the, the condition is the data is not there. There's a failure in some form. The communications are down, or there's no sensor out there, or uh, you know, maybe nothing ever even matched my specification. Uh, all of those things are are errors, but they're not something I can start reading it immediately. And nothing happens. There's nothing there. Uh, I know that that's not working. It also has a very interesting trick of something called liveliness. Cool. So if, if I know, for instance, I'm running an airport and there's nine approach regions to my airport and there's, you know, multiple radars or whatever the sensors are watching for airplanes coming into my airport and all nine of those regions, uh, I can say I need liveliness guarantees on all nine regions, um, meaning that if there's no data from them it doesn't mean the radar's down it means there's no data and what dds is doing then and when you say you're lively you should say you know like i need you dds to guarantee that this data is not more than a tenth of a second old essentially and now dds is going to you know if if that radar isn't writing data every tenth of a second even if there's nothing in that data or nothing I care about in that data. Maybe I only want airplanes within five miles uh, descending and coming towards me, right? That's all I care about below some altitude. Yeah. Uh, even if there's nothing there, at least I know it's alive. I know the radar is working. It's very different to have no plane there and have no sensor there. It's a very, very different condition. So DDS handles a lot of the complexities of interactions between all of these systems uh, much easier, much more easily because it has a uh, an ability to be data centric. Oh yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense actually because I I, I remember reading somewhere where it was saying uh, with DDS is like you are accessing data from the future as opposed to uh, something like accessing data from a relational database where you are accessing data from the past. 
Right. So yeah, a database is also a data centric architecture, but all the data is old. Yeah. Uh, so a database has, you know, I mean, a database is is become absolutely required for every every business system. You wouldn't dream of building an auto parts store without a database. You wouldn't dream of building a one person food truck without a database, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, I suppose you could do it, but you know, but it's all stored data. So I can search my auto parts store for, you know, alternators for a 2005 Chevy, right? Yeah. And how much they cost and when do I have any inventory? That's that's called a slice, right? You, you, yeah. you search for that, and then you can say things like, "Well, there's none." Then you can do things with it, like uh, I don't know, add it to a list of a, a cart, or see if uh, if I don't have any when they're going to ship. All those kinds of things can be done with that slice. My slice with the airport is also a slice, but it's future information because yeah. that the data for the parts has to already be in your database when you search. But I can search for. You know, airplanes within five miles below five thousand feet descending and coming towards me in the future. Yeah. And if one of those shows up, I need to know about it in tenth of a second. Well, that's that's also a slice, but it's a slice that hasn't happened yet. Oh, yeah. Really, it's very similar to a future database. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Maybe to 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 put it into perspective to 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 for for, for some of our audience here, can you compare? Between OPC UA and uh, DDS, maybe to try and, and and put it into perspective, what 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 what's the major difference between OPC UA and DDS? Yeah. So, first of all, there's nothing more important in an architecture than what abstraction it offers. Okay. Hmm. So DDS offers this data-centric abstraction. All the data you want is available to you with a very, very specific, you know, it also has data types. So, you know, if I'm writing code, I know the type of data I'm talking about. I know it's a, a string that's called name and then floats called, you know, floating point numbers called X, Y and temperature, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know what that means, but I do know what they are. Um, but it also has, you know, it's, it's data centric and I, I know what I can do with it, things like that. OPC UA is a completely, and so that's the DDS abstraction. The, the OPC UA abstraction is object oriented. It's fundamentally object oriented. Object oriented means you have objects, that objects interact with other objects, right? Yeah. So in DDS, you, you only interact with your data. You don't interact with any other, anything else in the world. OPC, you have objects interact with their objects and they're very specific things those objects can do with them. And those those things they can do are called methods. And so objects can export methods and, and do that. And then they have the, you know, the next layer of abstraction is they have those methods, you know, have those, you have to find the objects. The objects may actually be presented to you on a server somewhere and you have all these server interactions. So it's a completely different abstraction to start with. Um, but what, what comes down to, you know, like I said, they all grew out of different things. OPC UA's fundamental idea is to offer, uh, to model a system as, as what they call devices. Um, 
things, uh, you know, conveyor belts or curing ovens or something like that, that are part of a system. And you talk to the curing oven and set its temperature and things like that. And they have very clear definitions of what devices are uh, and things called companion specs. So you can affect interoperability between curing ovens sold by different vendors. That's their main goal is to free the uh, end integrators, factories or whatever from being dependent on a single end integrator or, and a single uh, parts supplier vendor. And so it's got standard device types and it's got you know read write variables and all those kinds of things that, that make it uh, possible to mix and match those things and build a system. There are software components also, but they're also well-defined. They're usually historians and uh, HMIs, things like that. There's not a lot of other, uh, not a lot of other software technology or architecture because it's really not used by software architects. Most of the code in OPC OE systems are vendors writing uh, devices or building devices, and most of the end integrators are not programmers. They're people in factories building, um, you know, assembling parts, not writing a lot of code, not a lot of custom code. Uh, DDS completely different. The end users for DDS are almost all programming teams. Um, there's virtually no device software out there because uh, DDS models devices as software interfaces. So uh, it's not it's not where you start. So um, they're they're really different. Um, they're different user sets, they're different uh, different ways of thinking about how the system is put together, uh, different applications. You know, one is designed really for integrating intelligent systems into large uh, networks of things. That's what DDS does. And the other one's really designed for mixing and matching devices. And if you walk around trade shows, you'll see that, right? Yeah. You walk around trade shows, you'll see walls of devices in the OPC UA booth that all have OPC UA running with the obvious implication that you can now inter interoperate between those devices. And you'll see absolutely no talk about, or very little talk about how you write software for that wall of devices. It's just yeah, <laughs> maybe there's a GUI that you can put it together. If you go into anybody selling DDS, you'll see virtually no devices. What you'll see is systems. You'll see autonomous vehicles and, uh, you know, power grid systems and all these things that are put together with DDS, but not at the device level at the system level. It's, it's, it's strikingly different if you think of it that way. They don't compete. Yeah. We don't, I, I've almost never seen an application where you could choose one or the other logically and expect it to work. Um, in fact, if you you really look at it they're 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 diametric opposites way more than they are similar <laughs> oh yeah yeah now what do you see as the as the future of of, of connected uh, iot uh, and uh, to what extent do you do you, do you think uh, uh, 5g is going to affect that 
Um, 5G is an interesting new technology. I think it's a pretty low level technology from our point of view. Um, I'm still struggling along with the rest of the world what 5G can do that 4G can't, to be honest with you. It's until it's really truly reliable enough to base the safety of a system on, um, you can't really drive a car with it or something like that. You could drive it for a while, but you're gonna need all sorts of backup systems. You need those backup systems for 4G too, and it's probably fast enough uh, to do video monitoring remotely or something like that. So, you know, I do think it will get there, but it's a long ways before 5G really um, changes the way the world can run um, many different things. So it's it's you know it's definitely an exciting future, but it's uh, a while before you can use it in in a, in a generic setting. Um, okay, all right. Okay, so now to round things up, I want to talk about your company, uh, Real Time Innovations, and uh, uh, the Industrial Internet Consortium. Uh, so first, could you? Uh, please tell us what uh, real-time innovations is all about. Uh, RTI is we're the largest uh, provider of architectural software of any kind of architectural software for smart machines or real-world systems. Um, we're actually a pretty good-sized company compared to the others in the market selling other things like OPCUA or MQTT or any of those kind of things as software. Um, we have. Uh, our biggest markets are defense market and automotive uh, or transportation, I suppose, in general. Uh, we're in over 250 different autonomous vehicles, uh, designs, and a bunch of other research vehicles. Those are all in some production track things. A lot of those are flying things. We sort of started out in the flying vehicle world, but uh, our, sort of our hottest new markets are urban air mobility, flying cars. We have a lot of ground vehicles as well. Uh, we do power systems, um, almost all renewables, hydropower and um, wind power. We're running the largest power plants in North America and balancing systems for the grid and things like that. Uh, medical, we do a lot of medical stuff, uh, connected medical devices, medical robotics, hot market, lots of stuff going on there. Um, we're very involved in all of those kind of things. And um, I don't know, our product has DDS sort of at its core, but we do many other uh, technologies around it uh, because really DDS is an architectural standard. It's not really a product, even though we named our product that I'm probably gonna change that at some point, but um, it is just the core and around that core, there's an awful lot of different pieces ranging from routing services and uh, scalability helps and tools and all sorts of things that make it possible to build a real world system. We, we make all this kind of stuff really real, work in the real world. We're way more experienced than our other companies in making stuff uh, work. That's, 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 my quick. that's very interesting. Uh, okay, now, so lastly, uh, you are part of the Industrial uh, Internet Consortium Steering Committee. Uh, we've, uh, we've already spoken about the IIC, some of the IIC initiatives at length. 
but the, like, what I would like to find out is uh, what are the primary aims of, of, of IIC and uh, uh, how are you doing so far? Um, so first of all, I, I stepped down from the steering committee. Our, my company is growing too fast for me to do that anymore. Um, I'm CEO of oh, okay. that company. So I, I did that for six years. I just stopped doing that this year. So, um, but the IIC is the place where everybody sort of gets together, all the different markets. It's always been a very horizontal organization going after sort of defining this uh, Internet of Things, Industrial Internet of Things, and, um, you know, the largest organization doing that in the world. Um, it's, its real goal is to put together architectural specifications that many different industries can use uh, to accelerate what they're doing and try and make this vision come to life sooner. Uh, oh. It's a hard job because everybody wants to push it in their own directions. <laughs> yeah, because. Uh, but I think it's uh, uh, well, uh, it's an important thing to be doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, that uh, brings us to the end of our uh, conversation. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Stan, for joining me uh, today. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm sorry I uh, talked too long at the beginning because it would be nice to go in a little more depth at the end, but that's okay. I get excited about this stuff. Well, I really do see the, the future of connected systems as amazing. Um, I think it's our planet's best chance to improve a lot of things from global warming to, uh, you know, some better power systems to autonomous vehicles, to safer systems. I'm actually pretty excited about some of the, the, the fish farming technology, which can make uh, very low cost, high volume sources of protein available to the world without damaging the oceans. That's, that's exciting. Uh, I just see the ability of us to, to really use intelligent, smart things as uh, transformational. Historians will look back at our time and wonder how we got by without smart things. Yeah. We, how we got by without electricity or <laughs> engines or wheels or fire. I mean, it's just, a, it's an absolutely fundamental new Thing and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Uh, I think it'll still be new 40 years from now. 